fade out is this, this is about the church's unity and the unity of the body of Christ, particularly in chapter 4, uh, where, where he uh, had kind of left us um, last time. Uh, remember this, in these six chapters, you've got uh, a breakdown of two chapters each, uh, one and two, three and four, five and six. And one and two, remember that we see Christ's deity, Christ's deity. And, and, and guys, that is really important because there's a lot of folks out there who um, want to really deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Um, and it's extremely important to understand uh, that he is God. He was, he, uh, that's a, that, you know, if that's not true, then, then we're wasting our time, quite frankly. We're just, we're just having religion. But it's not true, and the Word of God is very clear about that. The book of Ephesians, which is a very rich book uh, for us, is very good, as Pastor laid out there in the first two chapters, to show us that. And then chapters 3 and 4, where we're at now, uh, reveals uh, the church's unity. Uh, not only the unity, but the need for unity and how important it is. And then in chapters 5 and 6 that uh, he'll be getting into in the weeks to come reveals the Christian's duty. Don't skip out on that. You know, we like, we like that, hey, yeah, Jesus is God, and that's, that's good, and yes, let's be unified, let's go. But when it comes to duty, all of a sudden, you know, it's crickets, right? Crickets. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. If, if you truly recognize the deity of Christ and understand how important the unity of the body of Christ is, in the word, because that's that's where that unity comes from, and what he's get, given to us, not only what he's done for us, that's the basis, but what he's given to us, then we are to be responsible, we are to be stewards, to go out, and as Romans 8 talks about, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 8, have a performance out of that which you have. And we all, if we're honest, can look in the mirror and say, yeah, I've dropped that ball more than once, Okay. And uh, I don't know if you've been paying attention to current events, as somebody said in the movie once, but uh, it's crazy out there, and it's time to pick the ball up because um, what Holmes say, the game is afoot, right, and, and how. So uh, he left us off there in uh, coming through Ephesians where we saw the revelation to the body of Christ. We saw the intercession for the body of Christ the, in the very first part here the unity of the body of Christ, and then he's going to go into diversity and responsibility, and you're going to see those things. Um, let me just draw your attention, though, real quick here in chapter 4 to a couple of things, uh, because this is where he's going to camp out uh, and has camped out uh, in the weeks to come in last week. Notice uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, um, I, I've always found this very interesting, that he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, that was a powerful statement, man. He is a, remember, he is a willing uh, slave, a willing, uh, as he says here, uh, a, a willing prisoner. He is, he is there by choice. He chose, uh, when the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, he chose, if you, if you go back and look at that sometime, notice that when that happens, he does not argue with the Lord at all. He recognized immediately that he was dealing with God and he needed to have eyes and ears open, but his eyes were blinded, so and his heart open and his mouth shut. And, and you saw him really practice that, except for, for um, what, what was needful uh, to ask. And he went 
willingly he obeyed. See, and, and, and again, this thing of duty that we're, we're going to get into in the last couple of chapters of the book of Ephesians is so important because we are told expressly you hold to obey is better than sacrifice, right? I mean, David says, I mean, God told him that. that. That is the key. We all, you know, we'll sacrifice some time here, some treasure there, uh, some talent here. But you know what happens? And, and I had a pastor that I worked with once say this. He said, hey, you know what's great? Man, if we do these spiritual gifts tests, find out what it is we're good at, and, and really just do those top three that, that we're really good at, and it's, it's like we're not even working. And I said, well, do you know what that means? He goes, what? I said, it means you're not really working. He goes, what do, you, what do you mean? I said, what it means is you're resting in what you're already good at, and you're purposely ignoring the things that you need to work at. And we like that, don't we? I do. I would much rather do nothing but things I like and drink coffee all day, and I'm a happy camper, okay? Um, but that's lazy, okay? That's lazy. Yeah, you know, Paul, who, who wrote this letter, okay, Paul had put in a ton of work. We know that because he was a Pharisee, right? Uh, you, you don't just go, I'd like to apply to be a Pharisee, and here we go, fill out all the paperwork, and here you go. It takes a lot of work, a lot of study. And he understood work. He wasn't afraid of work. And when the Lord spoke to him, he immediately paid attention, didn't he? He was being asked some questions that he was not too keen to answer when the Lord asked, okay? And so what did he do? He said, hey, man, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. And when he says, therefore, you got to go back. See, what is he talking about? What's the therefore, okay? Uh, so go back. Go back to uh, verse 16 of chapter 3, and look at this. He says, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might, by his spirit in the inner man, strengthening his might. Remember, as Christians, we don't get strong in the Lord. We actually recognize our weakness and allow him to be strong without getting in the way. Okay? Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And Pastor Wayne has some good explanation there. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Why? Because our thinking is tainted. It's messed up. According to the power that worketh in us. Is that unity thing? Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, Amen. And the next thing he writes, he says, I therefore, with those things in mind, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. It's not a surprise that he's talking about being a prisoner because look back at, at chapter 3, verse 1. Well, what's he say? For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. I'm a prisoner, <laughs> okay, to go to the Gentiles. He's a Jew, but he understands, hey, it's more important for me to obey and, and go where God leads. So here's the thing. How many of you have prayed for God to lead you in, in the right way? Raise your hands. All right? All right. Now, here's the one thing I know. He has led. You know what? You, I'll tell you what I started doing. I quit 
asking him to lead me because he's already told me that he does and that he will and that he has. The problem, the thing I need to pray for is for me to actually follow where and when he leads. That is the problem. I quit praying asking him to lead me in the good and right way because he told me in his word that he always does that. Okay? So I'm like, okay. So I can quit praying for that because he already answered it. Before I even asked, he had it in his word. So I don't need to, to ask for that. I need to say, Lord, help me <laughs> to get out of the way. Not help me help myself. No. Help me to get out of the way and just do what you say, to just obey, no matter what that means, no matter what that costs, no matter how uncomfortable that is, okay? Such as a Jew spending time with Gentiles all the time, okay? Chapter 4, verse 1 again. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. The beseech isn't like, man, I just, I just really hope that you do. I'm just really hoping. Matt, come on, man. Please. Come on, bro. Let's go. That's, not, he, that's a pleading word. Beseech. I am pleading with you. Okay? Because of these things and all that is in us and all that he's done and is doing in us, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. And, of course, that we're gonna, he's going to get into more and more of that. But, folks, here's the deal. If you're saved here tonight, and I know most, most folks are, I don't know about everybody listening, um, but here's the bottom line. Uh, he says, man, I'm beseeching you to walk worthy of what? Of the vocation wherewith you're called. You know, we all have different vocations in this world, don't we? Some do lawn care and, and know how to fix everything that I kill, Okay. Uh, some, you know, have parts stored and do all this stuff. Some have all kinds of artistic abilities. Those are vocations. But as a Christian, we all have a vocation. And it's the same. Now, this sends out in different ways. But that vocation, and, and I'm, I'm not going to steal the pastor's thunder here, but you, you, I'll let him go into that in more detail. But understand this. Here's the bottom line. And this is what we're going to get into a little bit tonight here in a moment. Our vocation, our job, okay, is number one, to bring him glory, all right? Bring him glory. How do you do that? Anybody? Say it again. Okay, testify your goodness. She put it in one word. Same thing, but yes, obedience. That's why I was talking about it earlier, what Paul showed us. Obey, just obey. Now, here's the cool thing about obedience. When you obey with the right heart attitude, okay, it doesn't mean you have to pretend it's easy when it's hard because it is hard sometimes, okay? So you don't have to pretend. So, Lord, this is hard. Have, have you ever read Psalms and seen David not just talking and pleading with the Lord but shouting and arguing and mad and angry and full of frustration and not understanding, right? Just being honest with God and saying, I want to obey. I just don't understand. I don't get what's going on here. That's okay. He's a perfect father. He, he, he's going to answer that, okay? He is God our father, okay? 
Now, understand this. If you're listening to uh, you know, the sound of my voice and you're not saved, um, you're not a child of God. Now, I'm not trying to offend you or hurt you, but I want you to know the truth, okay? Because there's this whole thing of, you know, oh, we're all brothers and sisters, you know, under God. No, we're not. We're not. If you're not born again, you're not in the family of God, okay? There's an adoption that needs to, be, needs to take place, that he has waited, he has taken care of everything, he's paid all the fees, he's done everything, if you'll just come to him. But if you're a child of God, if you're saved here tonight, you are, well, guess what? We have a perfect father that we say, Lord, help me. He's waiting for that, okay? And then he said, okay, here's the help. So what happens after you're, he says, here's the help and, and tells you what it is? Obedience. Because if it's not obedience, then what is it? Anybody? Disobedience. That's right. Disobedience. Uh, if you're a child like I was, it's just flat out rebellion, right? And let's be honest, sometimes it is not just disobedience, but it is rebellion because we know we're supposed to be doing something and we choose to do something different, whatever it is. So when you know what's right, whatever else you do, it doesn't matter what it is, it, it's rebellion. Now, if you're a neighbor, say, okay, I know I should be doing this, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to do it. Well, that's what the church is here for, to, to lay out in the word of God for you. Now, if you're in a church, folks listening, obviously you guys are in this church, but if you're listening and you've got a church that then tells you what to do but doesn't show you in the Word of God what it is, you need to leave that church, okay? I'm not talking bad about it. I'm just saying if they're telling you what to do instead of showing you what the Father says to do, then you're in the wrong place. It's that simple. Because, you know, as, as true brothers and sisters in Christ, if you're saved and you come saying, man, I, Dad, I don't, you know, I don't know what to do. Brother, older sister, I don't, I don't know what to do. And they say, well, do this, this, and this. Instead of, well, here's what Dad wants. Here's what Mom and Dad are looking for. You see the difference? I, I've been the former. My brother and sister learned all kinds of things that they shouldn't learn from me, the rebellious son, the older brother. I'm talking in the flesh, not in the spirit, okay? But I was not a good brother in that way. I taught them how to pick locks. I taught, I taught them how to do bad things. And just because somebody is telling you something that sounds good doesn't mean it is good. And if it's not from the Word of God, then it's not good. I don't care how good it sounds or how good it looks. It's not. Okay? So, saying all that to say this, take a look real quick, and then we're going to jump out of Ephesians, and we'll go to where we're going to camp out a little bit here tonight. Let's... Uh, let's Drop down here to verse 6. Remember up in uh, chapter 3, verse 19, look there again. It says, And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then in verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He's speaking to Christians. Again, if you're lost and you're listening to this, this, this is addressed, this whole book, this letter is what it is, is addressed to Christians not the lost. So, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But in every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. 
Wherefore he saith, when he ascended on high, and he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men, and, and what he's talking about there is when he, uh, after the, the crucifixion, uh, he went down, preached down there, and, and led captivity captive, the, those in Abraham's bosom, took them uh, as had been promised. That's a whole other story, but understand that's what he's talking about. Okay, when he ascended on high and he led captivity captive, he took them, uh, those Old Testament saints, gave gifts unto men. Verse 9, now that he ascended, what is it, but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. That's what he's talking about, what we were just talking about. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, pastor will get into all this, but understand this. Why do you think he put that little, here's a big old word, parenthetical couple of verses in there? He put it in there to make a point. God, God doesn't use filler, okay? Yeah, I, I really want a few more verses in there to look better, you know, on the page. That's not how God works, okay? Uh, if he does it already, it looks better, all right? He, he's got this in here for a purpose and a reason, and, and what it really boils down to is back in verse 8, he says, when he ascended, wherefore he saith, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Guess what? He gave a lot of gifts. We're not going to go into all of them. Again, I'll let pastor cover this. But the bottom line is, he gave gifts unto men, the gift of salvation, the gift of fulfilled promise. You know, the Old Testament saints who were in Abraham's bosom were not in, in, in heaven. They were waiting to go. They were waiting for that promise, and he fulfills his promises, okay? That is, that is the big thing there. There's a whole lot more. But then look at verse 11 after he said all this. Now, this is a passage I'm sure you've heard more than once or twice. He said, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, which we talked about earlier. Again, let Pastor get into that. You know what he's letting us know? Hey, what he's, what he's done here as far as verses 11, 12, and 13, he gave some apostles and, and, and prophets and, and pastors and teachers. Hey, he gave some gifts. He keeps his promises. He fulfills his word. When he said in all the Old Testament, hey, you're going to go to Abraham's bosom, and I'm going to take you, and, and all these things are going to come true. Realize that in your Old Testament, uh, most of those promises have not yet been fulfilled. But here's one that has, along with several others, by that action that Jesus took. And he's letting, he's letting uh, the church know. Paul used of God as a pencil here, okay? But he's letting us know clearly that, hey, God keeps his word, and he fulfills his word. And if he doesn't, then we should quit playing games and get rid of this. And I say that truthfully, but not irreverently, okay? I say that because I, I know of a surety that this book is true, that his word is true, because he has always done what he said he was going to do. He has kept his word. Um, you can't find mistake in it, Okay? So understand that going in. Now, I'm laying that out because Pastor said, hey, if you want, give them, give them something else. So come over to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to 
we're going to talk about something here that has a reference back. Um, Paul writing this letter, beseeching these folks to walk worthy and others to obey. And remember this, okay, you, you see faith mentioned several times in this, in this letter. And the fulfillment of that and walking and being filled with those things. Remember, and this is just Mark's, you know, working biblical definition of faith, okay? Faith is believing the word of God to the point you actually obey it. You do it, okay? You want to increase your faith? Start obeying God. That will increase your faith. Well, I don't understand it all. Hey, that's okay. Are you telling me that you always understood what mom and dad told you to do before you did it? I didn't. And sometimes I didn't, so I wouldn't do it. And then I got some uh, correction in one form or another. Um, you know, the punishment has to fit the crime. Well, with me, it was usually a crime and not just a misdirection, okay? Um, some of us have to learn a little harder than others. But here's the bottom line. You want to increase your faith? You want to be full of faith? Be somebody who is full of obedience to the Word of God. Say, I don't really understand it, but I'm going to do it. Because guess what? I don't know about you, but I can read every manual on anything I'm trying to work on, and I will not understand everything it's telling me until I go start doing it. It says, okay, you take this board and you put it here, put a nail here, take a hammer and hit it. Okay, bam. And I crash my hand, right? The old thumb thing. So I know right away, oh, I got to be careful when I do this. And I keep doing now. The nail gets bent. You know what? What my point is, you don't actually start learning until you start obeying. I used to tell my kids when we tell them something to do and they have a question. And because they're like their dad, unfortunately, you know, do this. Why? That's a great question. And I will be glad to answer it just as soon as you earn the right to hear the answer by obeying me. I stole that from God. I'm a plagiarist and proud of it in this case. Once you obey, things start to open up. And now there's understanding so that you not only have knowledge, but you gain this understanding of how it works. And guess what grows out of that over time and obedience? Anybody? Knowledge, understanding. And what's the third thing that always goes with that? Wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come overnight. It doesn't even come in a week or two. Understanding you gain by doing. You don't gain understanding by, I'm going to pray for understanding. God, give me understanding right now because apparently God obeys me. Right? I mean, we pray like that, don't we? God, give me this because you said, okay. We're backwards before we even get started a lot of times. The point is real simple. Here's the knowledge. God says, here's the knowledge. Here's the manual. Here's what to do. Okay, great. I don't understand it. Okay, well, just just do it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it as we go. Okay. Boom, boom. Oh, ah, that kind of hurt. Yeah, if you do this, that, oh, that was simple. Oh, I get it. Oh, that's why you're not supposed to do it that way. Okay. Understanding. 
And the more you do it and the more you do it, now you gain some wisdom as you obey, as you do those things. Have a performance out of that which you have. Say, yeah, but you know, there's so much I don't know. We need to stop worrying about and being so selfish that we always want more. I say that as one who spent the first three years of my Christian life just trying to get all the knowledge I could because I saw it in, 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 in this pastor, this guy that was teaching, and I saw what God was doing with him. I was like, God, I want all that. And I went after and I got all this knowledge. And guess what? The head puffs up, right? Um, pride goeth before the fall, the haughty spirit, you know, thing. And I realized, man, I've got a ton of knowledge, and I still don't know what I'm doing. I can tell you, but I don't know what I'm talking about, even though what I'm talking about is truth. Get it? Just because you know a thing doesn't mean you know that thing. I find it interesting that people, at least in this country in particular, the United States, which I love, I fought for it. Okay, no, no, I'm not down with the United States at all. But understand this, it absolutely baffles me why people care so much about celebrities, want to know everything they're doing, follow them on Instagram and whatever else, uh, uh, Facebook, buying those things in the, in the store, check out, you know, oh, so-and-so, oh, did you hear so-and-so? No, you didn't hear that? I, I probably did, I just don't care. You know why? I don't know them. Okay, they don't know me. They don't care about me other than can I get a dollar or 500 out for them? Okay, I don't, I, I just don't understand that because what happens? People read about their, their celebrities and their stars, and for us guys, athletes, you know, I mean, everybody here thinks we know Alex Gordon and Patrick Mahomes and Salvi and everything. I don't know those people, I admire what they do on the field, but I don't know them. Okay. I don't. I pray for them. I do. But I don't know them. And my point is this. As Christians, Bible-believing Christians, a lot of time because we have knowledge, we have the Word of God, we have a pure Word of God, okay, in our King James Bible. We have great teaching. We have these, and so we attain knowledge, and we know all these things, just like somebody that can tell you everything about their favorite celebrity or, or sports figure but they don't actually know them. And until you start, until I start actually walking with them, and that's the word that Paul used back in Ephesians 4, wasn't it? I beseech you, I'm pleading with you to walk worthy. I mean, that's what Enoch did. Everybody know who Enoch was? Remember him back in Genesis? He walked with God and was not, for God took him. You know why? Because that communion got so good that after walking with the Lord every day, you know, every morning the Lord gets up. I mean, uh, Enoch gets up, and he immediately is praising the Lord and has his mind on him. The Lord comes by and says, hey, you want to walk with me today? He says, yep, that's why I got up today, Lord, man. I, I can't wait to walk with you. And every day he walked with him. And at the end of the day, man, it's like, Lord, sure was good talking with you and walking with you and learning from you and everything. It was just awesome. I'll see you in the morning, right? And that's how you ought to be quite frankly. First thing in the morning, man, that, he ought to be on your mind. You ought to be praying immediately before your feet hit the ground. Last thing at night, not, not whatever's on the TV or on your phone nowadays or whatever. 
That ought to be the last thing. But then one day the Lord said, you know, every day, Enoch, we get to walk together, and this has been awesome for years and years. He says, but you know what? We always stop at your house at the end, and you go home, and I go home. You want to go to my house? Yeah, man, let's go. Well, there's no, there's no nighttime there, right? So he's still there, right? That's what the Bible says. That is what I'm looking for, that kind of a relationship to where I'm with him all the, even in my sleep, man, right, permeated. You see David talking about this. You see Solomon mentioned a few times. Man, true communion with the Father. Why am I saying all that? Well, let's come over here to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is really interesting. I mean, the book of Luke, uh, as many of you know, uh, the four Gospels give you four uh, different perspectives or outlooks on Jesus. Uh, Matthew shows us uh, Jesus as the king of the Jews. Mark shows us... uh, um, Jesus as a servant. Uh, John shows us Jesus as the Son of God. And the book of Luke shows us Jesus as the Son of Man. Somebody that we can really relate to. And boy, there's a whole lot in here. We won't go into all of it. But man, there's so much going on leading up to chapter 14 that is amazing. Um, he's got all these disciples and he calls uh, the 12 out of those disciples and, and calls them apostles and, and, and they start coming up and, and uh, he, he starts uh, working with them and teaching them and then starts giving them uh, uh, parables and, and, and the chapters leading up to this talks a lot about being a good steward. A faithful steward. There's that story about them just, just a couple chapters back. And, and, and then in chapter 14 um, um, he's, he's talking about uh, the, the wedding where he's made an invitation, uh, but the master, uh, you know, they, they can't come. They've got all these excuses why they can't come. And so uh, the master serves, sends all the, the, the servants out and says, man, you get them from everywhere, highways, byways. He says, compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And, and they do. But there's an interesting thing. In, in, uh, in fact, in chapter 14, verse 25, there's a paragraph marker there. It says, There went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. They'll say, Well, you know, I wonder if that's translated right. And you can find some Bibles that translate it different. A little less, well, they would say severe, a little less severe. But the reality is, it's a little less truthful. Because what he's saying there is not that you have to hate any of those folks, but the comparison between the two. Your love for him and your love for everybody else, including those you most love in this life. And before you say, well, that just, I'm, I'm not sure about that, let me ask you something. Ladies, do you want your husband to love you so much that when he looks at other women, and I'm talking beautiful women, really talented, great women, great character, the whole nine yards, do you want them to see them and look upon them or think in their heart, yeah, that, that's great, but it, it's, not, it's not her, not my wife, right? You see the contrast? 
same thing, guys, right? You want your wife to see somebody on TV and or whoever, I don't know, I'm dating with you know, Steven Seagal or David Hoffman, you know, the Hoff, and these kind of guys, and they're like, oh my gosh, he's just so beautiful, he's so hot. Or do you want him to say, eh, that's great, but not Mark. <laughs> you know, I got a wife like that, I'm just telling you. She's like, oh yeah, I like him, but not you, baby. Man, I'm going to tell you something. Hey, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm not pretty, I'm, I don't talk really good. There's not, there's nothing special about me. But man, when she looks at me, I, I, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. Because she is strong. She's like one of the smartest people you're ever going to meet in your life. She's got an IQ that's off the charts. She has a love for the Lord that rivals most people. And she puts up with, with a body that has fought her her entire life she is literally alerted to everything on this planet except for six trees none of which are on this continent by the way and for six well i won't say how many exactly but somewhere up above 60 years she's dealt with that and with me for 40 of those years now that right there ought to earn her a whole lot okay but honestly that that's what he's talking about and if you're saying, well, I don't really care if they look at me like that, you are lying. Either that or you have a sin problem in your life that needs to get fixed. I don't know what it, I can guess a few, but that needs to be addressed. Okay? Man, it should just be that, yeah, I mean, I love her, I want, but man, I, this is my Savior, my God, my best friend. Oh, man, somebody who knows me better than anybody. That's what that's supposed to be like. And so he's going through all these kind of things and talking about that and how important it is. Here's what it takes to be a disciple, man. You, you, you don't just get knowledge about them. That's why when we do discipleship, it's not about like, well, let's get through 16 lessons, one every week. Check mark, you're done, go. Congratulations, you are now spiritual. No, no, not at all. In fact, if you went through in 16 weeks, man, I hope there's nobody here. That, I'm just telling you, man, that's a drive-by. That is not spending time. I, I know me personally and Lisa and I together have never discipled anybody in the 16 lessons that took less than a, a year and a half. Because you have to spend time. And, and, and you, there has to be where you get down into real life, Right? And I'll tell you this, and, and Jim and Ann Boyette have heard that they don't care if we tell on them here. But I remember one time, because we, we d discipled them years ago. I know most of you know this, 37 years ago or whatever. One day they came in and they were a little late. Now, you know Jim, he, he, he's not late, okay? He's not late. And uh, I had noticed the car had gotten there before they came in by you no know, more than just a minute or two. So they came in and they're being cordial and everything. We knew, okay, something's up. And they're trying to just, you know, like nothing's wrong. And so, you know, we did when we sat down and said, okay, well, the first thing we're going over is what just happened in the car? You know why? Because that's real life. That's where they're at. And it was still affecting their spirit right then and there, man. And, and so we dealt with that. And we took the word of God 
And we showed them, hey, here's what you do with these things. Not, well, let me tell you how to handle that. Okay? So I can tell you how to handle it, but I have, we, we all make the same mistakes, right? Say things we shouldn't. You know, once you say them, you can't, those words just don't come back, right? Especially, guys, if you say it to her, because she will forget everything except what you said, right? Guys, we're not quite like that, but women do. You know why? Because it affects them right here in their spirit. So be careful what you allow to come through these lips. Ask God to keep that gate on there, okay? Well, let's say this again, moving, moving towards this spot here. By the time you get over here to chapter 15, he's come through a, a lot of things, and uh, he talked to him back here in chapter 14 about uh, being his disciple and counting the cost there in verse 28. And uh, then he says down there at the end of chapter 14 and verse 34 at the paragraph marker, he says, salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, Wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now that's interesting because when we hear that phrase, we usually think of Revelation, don't we? Right? When he's talking to the churches. Well, guess what? He's talking to, the, he's talking to some folks right here, isn't he? And he's talking to the nation of Israel. Uh, but what did they do? They stopped their ears. Remember? When, uh, when uh, my mind just went blank, Ron, help me out, uh, uh, the deacon that was stoned, and Paul held the clip. What? Stephen, yeah, when Stephen was stoned. You know that? Man, they rushed on him. They were like, they didn't want to hear what he had to say. They stopped their ears. They didn't want to hear what God was saying to them. Thank you, brother. I knew you guys could help me up there. They don't just do AV, by the way. They actually know AV as an authorized version. <laughs> Okay, so he, he's trying to tell him something, man. Hey, nation of Israel, you, you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. You're supposed to be that, that thing that helps preserve this earth by being the example of having a relationship with me. See, the nation of Israel, Jews don't just automatically go to heaven. Okay, I'm oversimplifying that statement, but that's what we think as Christians sometimes. Even lost people are, well, Jews go supposedly because they're Jews. No, that was never the case. God had that relationship with Abraham, the father of Jews, and said, hey, this nation that I promised I would make out of your seed as the sand of the sea and the stars of heaven, guess what? They are to be the example of what it looks like to have a relationship with the God of all of that. And by the way, that's our job, too. That's our job. People don't need to hear from us. They need to see in us. Something that I, I missed for several years as a young Christian is that verse. I knew the verse, but, you know, we, we, we hear things the way we want to hear them. We hear them the way we think they are or assume them to be or maybe we're taught. But it's like I was going to be... I was a door kicker for Jesus, okay? I, I would have made a good Catholic back in medieval days, man. Kick that door in. You're going to believe or I'm cutting your head off, you know? That was, that was my mentality. Um, you're going to get saved because you're lost, whether you like it or not. 
that doesn't work. And then I noticed in that verse, it said, man, that we're supposed to have an answer to every man, right? Everybody know what I'm talking about? What's the rest of that verse say? That asketh. See, I was going in and forcing an answer from them. But the verse says, I'm supposed to be ready to have an answer. Well, what, what has to come before that then? Anybody? Question, right, a question. So until they ask the question, I need to keep my mouth shut and let my life speak. Now, if your life isn't speaking right things, change your life, okay? But if you're living right, then people will ask. And when they ask, and this is hard for me, then just answer them what they're asking about. Don't give them the whole treaty. And that's what, that's my, I, I just want to throw up on them. No, God's always like, no, Mark, rain that in. Just answer the question until they come back with another question. And another question. And another question. So your life is supposed to be speaking, not your mouth. Until the question is asked, and then you just answer that question, not that plus 20 others. That, that's, that's what I do too much. The salt. The salt. If it's no good, and quite frankly, folks, here we are in the latest scene in church age, and guess what? The salt has lost its savor. It's not even good for the dunghill. We, we, need, we need to get serious. Again, in case you haven't been paying attention to current events, it's a mess out there. And it's getting worse. We're at the end of the age, and he's coming. Before he comes, though, he's coming for us. Amen. Praise the Lord. Just remember this. He's coming, and what happens when he comes and gathers us up? What happens right after that? called the judgment seat of Christ. Not for salvation, right? How many of you have been discipled in here? Okay. We can talk about that. Okay. The judgment seat of Christ, man. For, hey, what was the quality of your service, of your relationship with him on that earth? What was the quality of that? What was the motive behind it? There's some questions back there in Job that are even asked that you're like, whoa, I'm not sure how I'd like to answer. Well, I do know how I'd answer those, and I need to do some work. So that brings us again here to Luke chapter 15, where look at verse 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners were to hear him. Jesus we're talking about. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, and he starts talking about losing a sheep out of the hundred, out of the fold. And you guys know the story. He says, you're going to go out and find that one, right? That would look, verse 6. Um, and when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Verse 8. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver, she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. 
And then he launches into this story. And the first thing I want you to notice there in verse 11 at the paragraph marker is something that is not there. Because we're usually told this is a parable. Does anybody see the word parable in verse 11 or 12? It's not there. You have the same problem here a little bit later when, when you start talking about hell, the rich man and Lazarus, remember? Well, that's a parable, really, because it doesn't say that. And Jesus is always careful to say another parable, parable. God's always specific. Just because we miss it doesn't mean he's not. He is, okay? So this is an actual story. This is something that actually happened. So a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to him, or, I'm sorry, to me. And he divided unto him his living. Now, that's an interesting word the Holy Spirit put there. He didn't say out of his inheritance, which is what we usually say. Oh, he took his inheritance and went. He said out of his living. In other words, what he was doing, his, yes, his job, but out of his living. You know why? Because... Out of dead things doesn't work, does it? I hope you're seeing there's a spiritual picture here, okay, for you and I. Verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. You guys know the story. Verse 10, when he had spent all uh, there, rose a mighty famine in that land, and began to be in want. You got all this money, all this all this living that your dad gave you, and he went out and spent it, and went, man, this is going to be great. This is fun. And he's having a great time, right? And what's, what ends up happening? He's in want. I don't care if you won the lottery tonight. You'll end up in want if you're not living for the Lord. You know what happens to two-thirds of all lottery winners? Anybody know? They declare bankruptcy. That's a fact. 67% of all people that win the lottery, end up filing bankruptcy in less than seven years, usually less than five. Because if you can't manage 40,000, how are you going to manage 40 million? People think, oh, but I have, okay. He's in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, now there's an interesting thing. Go over to Psalm chapter 37 for a second. Psalm chapter 37. Psalm 37, verse 25. It says, I have been young and am old, and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed begging bread. Man, when you know, when, when you're living right, when you're following where and as he leads, where'er he leads, as the hymn says, you follow. Man, you, you don't have to beg for anything. God, God will provide. He will, before you even know there's a need. But when you're not, when you've wasted it, boy, the end of that dearth is <laughs> not good. And, and, and let me just, there's, a, there's so many things in this story here that we could talk about. We could talk about 
love and the lost. I mean, there, there's a, a definite theme here about the lost. You notice he's, he's already told them stories about, you know, some examples of like somebody who loses one sheep or one coin. What do they do? They go look for it, okay? And they rejoice when it's found and they celebrate with everybody. And then he tells them this actual story, okay? Again, he didn't do this as, okay, I got to say this in this order because it'll fit good in here, okay? He, he's, he's leading them on. See, in a court of law, you can't do that. You know, the, the other attorney will get up, oh, objection, leading the witness. Guess what? God always leads the witness, okay? God leads you so that we can see. He's leading you on so you can see what he is talking about. In verse 17 here again in Luke 15, he says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. You know the story. He, that's exactly what he does. He goes, he, he rises up, and, and off he goes. It says, uh, he rose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and they bring and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to be merry. I, I love this. It says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. Now this isn't like, Fredo, you're dead to me, you know, type of thing. He, he's dead. He's left them as, as though he had died. And, and again, there's so many lessons here. But, but here's, here's a great one, guys that's pertinent to you and I. You realize that when you got saved, you got an inheritance from the Father? Yeah. You got an inheritance. Now, the question is this. And, and, and when I was in Arizona, my church, you know, we, we, we like to reference, sometimes make fun of, the Scottsdale, um, uh, my mind just left me again, um, these rich kids that have a... Uh, Forget what it's called all of a sudden, huh? No, they have a they, they they get an allowance, which is more than you and I make in a year, okay? Combined, probably, and that's all they can get to, you know, until they reach twenty-five or thirty, usually, right in there. Trust fund, yeah, trust fund. We call them the trust fund babies. Guess what? That's us. You have an inheritance. I have an inheritance. When I got saved, when you got saved, the question is. What have you done with that inheritance? Have you considered a field and, and bought it and worked it? Have you gone and invested it in the things that the father said, hey, you ought to invest here and you ought to invest here. There's these missionaries here. Here's some pastor. Here's some folks here that just need help. Because if you lend them to the poor, you lend them to me, quote, unquote, God. How about you do that? Or you out buying Teslas and having fun and drinking every night, man. Well, I wouldn't do that, really. I'm sure your refrigerator is full of beer and, wick and you know, liquor and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I don't know, all that kind of stuff. 
But what is it for? And what is your house for? The things for us? Nothing wrong with, with being rich, by the way. Solomon was rich because God blessed him. But what do you do with it? What are you investing in? Oh, I can't afford to do that. You know, gosh, 10% is a lot. <laughs> I don't know if I can <clears throat> do that. Oh, and now that now they're saying we need some more and there's missionaries that need it. Phew. Hey, it's your it's your money. Do it. It's your inheritance. Do what you want. That's between you and the Father, right? Not you and me. But here's what I know. We're gonna have to give an account. It's called a reckoning. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is all about. How did you invest? Where's the return on that investment? An inheritance is not just so that you can run out and be crazy. My wife used to work for uh, what, what they call one of the M&M babies. M&M Mars is still a family-owned company, three brothers and sisters. And their kids didn't just automatically get to inherit the business. They paid for their education. They backed them on business deals and said, you have to go out and succeed and or fail and succeed and turn at least 40 before you can come and apply to these upper management positions. There's some wise people right there. I don't know if they're saved or not, I'm, and I'm not talking about it. I'm just saying that's wise. They didn't just give it to them. They said, hey, you, you're going to have to do something. You need to earn it. And guess what? You and I sometimes just spin willy-nilly with this inheritance we have. Yeah, I'm saved, and, you know, yeah, I know I shouldn't have done that, but I can confess it, and it'll be good. And, you know, just like here, you know, the prodigal son, he's, he, he comes in, he says, oh, gosh, I'm not worthy, and, and he confesses before the Father, and he says, oh, no, and he gives him all this. God loves me. He's a, you know, but I'm just going to be like the prodigal son or daughter because I know he's going to love me. You, you think that's love? Thankfulness? Brings the glory to God? You know, God has glory, whether we give it to him or not, but, but we should. You know, he doesn't want us to bring him glory just so that he can feel better about it. So he wants us to bring him glory so that others see it and ask. Because I'm going to tell you a little secret about this story in a minute. <laughs> Come back after the commercial break. No. Because there's another brother, right? Remember the other brother? Verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field. Okay, good. He's in the field. He's doing the job. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the, the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. He didn't tell the whole story, but he told enough of it. That's good. Verse 28, and he was angry and would not go in. That's disrespectful to the father. He's selfish, man. He's, he's a little brat right now. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. He's like, hey, what's going on, man? And he answered him, verse 29, and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. It's all about him. I, 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 three times there. 
Sounds like Lucifer back there in Isaiah. I, 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 I. And notice, he's just worried about making merry with his, he says, with my friends, not the father's friends. The father celebrated with the family and the servants, which are part of the family, okay? He, let them all have a good time because he's rejoicing, just like the one who lost one sheep out of a hundred or one coin out of ten. They call them in, they rejoice together. And the older brother is upset when his younger brother, he finds out he's home. and that, What? And see, we all look at that and go, man, dude's messed up. Let me ask you something, and don't answer out loud. But, you know, we have, we have a ministry here called, uh, um, <laughs> somebody help me, my mind's left again. Um, Friday night, Steve Fleshman, pastor. Life issues, thank you. This is what happens. It's, the mind is a terrible thing sometimes. Okay. And you know, the folks that we get in through there, they've come through some rough stuff. They don't always look so good. They don't always smell so good. They don't always act so good, quite frankly. And sometimes we, as the older brother and sister, when we see them come in, we're like, why are we doing all this and spending all this money on them? Man, we've been here all this time and we're doing, how come we're not doing something and having some kind of a celebration for us? And we don't think of it like that, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we look at it and we're like, why are we doing all that for them, man? They're, they're, they're a mess. I catch myself this. I, the young man that's been here was doing good and gone, went out, you know, you know how it is. Somebody gets on fire, for, they get saved, get on fire for the Lord, and what comes along? A guy or a girl, right? Maybe a good job, but it's usually a guy or a girl. Boom, he's out, and then he's back, and he's out, and he's back. We're like, oh, this guy. And I'm thinking that. I'm just being honest. I'm thinking, oh, man, this guy's never. And then God reminds me, well, you brat. It's almost audible with me and God on that kind of score. Well, you brat. How many times did you backslide and come back? Did you? Oh, man. I mean, it makes my heart heavy right now thinking about that. Well, I never back. I've served God faithfully. Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad. But, man, if your heart isn't in the right place, it's like, it's like taking your money. You're like the guy who took, the, took the, the pound and hit it in the earth. He said, I hit it, Lord, because I knew that you were stern and well, you're really touchy about these things, so I made sure I hid it here in the earth so it couldn't get stolen, couldn't get wasted. While the other two went and invested and had an increase. Right? I'm not turning all these places because most of you know these, both here and listening, these, these stories in the Word of God. Because this is about you and I. In this story, we focus on, in fact, I'll bet at the top of your Bible, it says the story of the prodigal son. Right? And I got news for you. That is, remember, these headings are not inspired, by the way. Those are put in by the publisher. This story is not the story of the prodigal son or the older brat brother. This story is about the loving father. You see that? This is about the loving father. Man, when, when, when the younger son 
starts heading home. Before he can even get to town, his dad is watching, man. He's looking. He is praying. He is begging God, bring my son that's dead back home. I understand this. I've got a, do- I've got a daughter that's out chasing the world who used to, and she saved, love the Lord. She was off to a mission field at one time, and now she's running from God. I understand that. I know what, what this guy was going through, and some of you do too. And your heart is just heavy every day, praying and looking for that child to return from the dead. This, this is about the father. That's what this story is about. And that's where our focus ought to be is we, we so often are like one of these two brothers just out, hey, I'm saved, and so just doing what we want to do. And good people are not doing things that way, but, you know, and, and maybe you are, you know, but I'm saved, so it's all good. And notice he even says up there, you know, hey, I will arrive in verse 18 and go to my father and say unto him, I've sinned. He says, I'm going to confess. And, and how many times when you do something do you go and say, okay, First John 1, 9, right? I confess my sins. He's faithful and just forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness, Right? We say that like a Catholic, going to confession and then going out and doing whatever we want again. And we point at the Catholics and say, man, that's just terrible. Not as terrible as us because we know better and we do it anyway. We have the truth and we do it anyway. How about rather uh, uh, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen? Yet confess, he that confesseth and what? Anybody know that verse? And forsaketh. It's not about just confessing and then I can just go off and keep doing what I want to do, keep sinning and wasting my inheritance. It's about confessing and then forsaking that sin. Lord, help keep me from that. Surrounding myself with with older brothers and sisters that will call me out and say, hey, it's your decision, but if you do that, you know, not only is it wrong, but yeah, it's going to bite you. Because, you know, let's face it. And when we're like him and we're out there, you know, having fun, right? But not fun, F-U-M, fun, S-I-N. Because when we say fun, usually that's what we mean, right? <laughs> Backslidden Christians and, and uh, carnal Christians and lost people. We say fun, but what we really mean is sin. Wrong, wrong three-letter word, right? What God says is, man... Don't come confessing like you're, because a lot of us don't even do that. We just say, Lord, forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. Let me ask you something. When you got saved, what happened to you when it comes to forgiveness of sins? How many of your sins got forgiven? All of them. So why are you asking him to do something he's already done? Stop doing that. Confess and forsake. Because, see, he wants you to agree with him about your sin. Confess it. I confess I did it. I knew it was wrong. I won't even tell you the conversations I have because they're so convoluted. Lord, you know I didn't really want to do it, uh, you know, but my flesh wanted to do it. And it but I really wanted to do it was right, but, but I didn't do it was right because, you know, I'm here, but I wanted to do this. And God said, well, you shut up. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay? Confess and forsake. And, and it's always, let's talk about forsaking that. Say, well, I, yeah. 
Whatever that thing is that crossed your mind, by the way, that you have trouble with, you don't know how to forsake it, get with a brother and sister in Christ, somebody more mature in the Lord, or a pastor or a leader, and say, hey, I need help in this area. You get help. Throw all your pride. And, and don't be like the older brother, you know. I, I will tell you this. I, I had a great brother. I have a great brother. I should say had. When I was not just backslidden, but a carnal Christian, just out having fun, S-I-N. Knowing, I would even tell my friends, they said, didn't you used to go to church and do all that? Oh, yeah, I still believe all that. I know that's right. Well, then what are you doing here? I said, well, do what I want to do. I was just straight up, you know. I, I'm not the brightest guy. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. But, man, every time I would, and I would do this, I'd sneak into Sunday night service. Now, in our church, there's still hundreds of people there at night. And my brother was usually in the choir. In fact, he was still in high school. You know what happened? Within three to five minutes of me sneaking into that service, and it's dark back in some of those places, my brother would be sitting right next to me. I don't care what was going on. He'd be in the choir. Boom, he'd leave. He'd be right next to me. Because you know what he was doing every day? He was praying, Lord, bring my brother back. He had all of his high school friends that were saved praying. He, he had the choir praying. He had all kinds of folks praying, along with my parents, you know, who were praying. And when I get to heaven, if I have any rewards, it's going to them. It's to them because I don't deserve it. My brother, every single time, not one exception, bam, right there. It was never, hey, are you ready to do what's right? It was never, you know, what kind of what kind of sin are you into now? It was just loving me. Just being with me. Hanging with me, even if we didn't get to talk much. It was always left before, you know, as soon as it was time for him to, boom, I'm out. Just tell me you love me. Give me a hug. Is that what you're doing with the people you see that need that? That are struggling? Or are you like, I'm glad I'm not like that. I'm glad I outgrew that. Really? <laughs> you just go over, put your arm around, and say, hey, I love you, man. I love you, sister. I don't know what's going on, but I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And then that's it. Don't ask. Love them, pray for them, and then actually be faithful to pray for them. Usually we say, I'm going to pray for you. And then you're like me when I ask somebody their name. Literally, three seconds later in my head, I'm like, what did they just tell me? If I said I pray, I'm going to pray. Why? Because we have a loving Father who cares. And our job, just like Israel, and this was the point the point that Paul is making back in Ephesians and that the Lord is making right here is like, look, when that which is lost is found, when that which is dead is found, hey, rejoice, okay? God doesn't give out of death. You say, well, but he died on the cross. Yeah, but he rose victorious. If he never, if he never rose from the grave, we don't have anything but a religion because Buddha died. Muhammad died. I know they say 
off into heaven, but that's not true. Now, all these folks died. I know guys that died for our country. Now, I honor that. I, I appreciate that. There were some of them have gone on, but they couldn't save my soul. They didn't come up from the dead. Only he did that. And, and see, we all know that, but we don't all live that. None of us live that all the time. I know I don't, to my shame. But our job is to live that, to be that example of the loving Father that when that which is lost is found, we rejoice. Look at the last two, few verses of this chapter after he's talking about all this, the older brother. In verse 30 says, But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Isn't that what the Lord told us? All right. We're co with him. Verse 32, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And you know what? We have, people, we have visitors coming in every week for several months now. And sometimes all I hear is that, man, we sure have lost a lot of people in the past. Hey, guess what? That was the past. I want to tell you something. No offense to folks that aren't here anymore, but I'm just going to tell you something. When a tree gets all bushy and growing, what do you do with it? You prune it. I saw this as a young Christian as I, as I grew in the Lord over 20 years. A little ministry go from about 8 to 12 people to literally hundreds, seven, 800 people. You know what happened all in between those? It grew and then got pruned back and then it grew better and pruned back and then it grew more and got pruned back and it grew more and you know what happened well, at some point it didn't get pruned and there were problems we were in a church similar to the church of Jerusalem that God finally said guess what I guess I'm just going to have to blow this thing up a little bit and get everybody out because not everybody's as obedient as our pastor, by the way. He went out because God sent him out. <laughs> and he was obedient to it. And it was, it was a rough field. It wasn't a nice prepared field, man. He had to dig up rocks and stumps and get rid of all kinds of stuff. So we can quit looking back at, oh, we used to have two services and all this. And look at, hey, this is what God has given us. You know what we need to do? Be faithful. In other words, obedient with what God has given us. And when that which was lost comes through the door, either because they're carnal Christians or because they are truly lost, but they are looking for something. They see the mess this world is in, and they're like, man, I don't know what's going on, but I, I need something. They need, a, they need somebody who looks like the loving father, you and me, you and me. Amen? All right. That's all I've got. Um, but let's be faithful. Pastor Brian's going to finish up in chapter 4 on the unity of the body and diversity of the gifts and responsibility of the members here over the next few weeks.
And then we're going to get into chapters 5 and 6 on duty. Man, let's, let's pay attention to that. Let's start having a performance out of that, which we have. Because we have a lot. I know, I know we often, you know, say, man, I wish I had this, I wish I had that. How about, man, rejoicing what God has given us? You, you remember, this, you know, count your many blessings? Now, that's an old hymn, so you probably, maybe you don't know it. They don't like to sing hymns anymore. But guess what? We need to be counting our blessings. We need to be looking at what we have and being faithful with that. And taking that inheritance that we all have and investing it in profitable things. You know, the Bible tells you there are some profitable things. Go look it up. Get your Strong's out or your computer and look, what's that, eSword or whatever. Look it up. Check it out. Study it. And then have a performance out of that what you have. Otherwise, you're just playing church. I hate playing church, just to be honest. Well, I love this church. Well, I love you guys. Let's go do that together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.